Father, this morning we just come to you once again with thanksgiving, Lord. Because you are awesome. You are faithful. And you are holy. We just want to thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Once again, as we come to the ministry of the word, we pray for open ears. You said in your word, blessed are your ears because they hear. Blessed are your eyes because they see. Bless our ears, Lord. Bless our eyes. That we may hear your voice today and we may see and understand the unseen things of the kingdom of God. Speak to us. We just sit at your feet as Mary sat, Lord, 2,000 years ago. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. This morning, even as we look to the word, first we turn to very familiar portion, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, the acceptable and perfect will of God. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Salvation begins in the heart. That's the core part of every individual, every person. When the Bible uses the term heart, it is not talking about the that vessel that pumps blood. It is talking about the core part of a person's personality. Because scripture says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you are saved. So it begins there. But the process of salvation is entirely, or, or, or the most important factor of the process of salvation after that is with your mind. That's why scripture says, by the do not conform to the pattern of the world, but the renewing of your mind. And scripture says here, he has given us a sound mind. That's not the same as the mind we had before we got saved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, scripture says, If anyone is, Christ in, is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Actually, all things have been passed away, physically speaking. But you start looking at life completely different. Even the old things you see through new eyes. Everything is new. You don't look at life anymore the old way. And our struggles are because we look at life the old way. God says you cannot. As your mind gets renewed and the mind gets transformed by the word of God, by the kingdom of God, he says you will start looking at everything afresh. Every detail in your life, you will start looking at it differently because life will never be the same again. It's the mind. Renew means make it new. And what is the material that you use? Because when you are renewing something, when you are uh, 
renovating your house. You're demolishing and rebuilding. You're not using the same material. You use a different material. What is the material with which you renew? It's the word of God. Earlier it was all the stuff in the world, all the different things in the world, the ideas in the world which your mind was framed. Now God is making you new. You're putting that old things away. Old way of thinking as passed away. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. But by the renewing of your mind, he says you will be able to prove what is the good, acceptable will of God. Otherwise, we will not accept that we will be with the old mind walking in a will, thinking it is the will of God, and it never will be the will of God. The, the will of God can be perceived only with a renewed mind, a mind that is being renewed. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon says this way, or God says this way through Solomon in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So you realize over there, thinking is connected with the heart. Though we connect thinking with the mind. Mind is there, but when it sinks into our heart, it becomes who we are. As a man thinks, so is he. Now read that very carefully. Scripture doesn't say, as a man is, so he thinks. No, you are not who you are because of who you are. You are the person according to your thoughts. We all will look at the outward. God says it doesn't make any difference how you look outwardly. The real person is the person inside, the way you think. That's why people get very disappointed after getting married. Because when you're courting, they put the best behavior. But that's not the real person. It's not the real person. The real person is who and how you think. That's the real person. And when that's that is the struggle. Scripture says, as you think, how you think, as you think, that's who you are. That's who you are. That's the real person. So God is interested in our thinking. God is interested in your thinking. He wants your mind. Because if he has to change us in his image, the only way possible is we hand our mind over to him on a constant basis. So that we start thinking the way God thinks. We start thinking the way God thinks. And that's how what we become. Because everyone sitting here, why are we different? We are different because we think differently. Yet scripture says when it talks about the unity in the church, scripture will say you are of one mind. One mind. Only way... A church can become, or in the eternity we'll see the bride of Christ is one. Though there will be so many people in that bride, they are one because they learn to think as the lamb thinks. They became one. They are different people from different cultures all over the world, all races, all colors they come, but they're absolutely one because their thinking has been framed by the thoughts of God, which is the word of God. That's why God has says, I have exalted my word above all my name. And that's why we exalt his word above all his name. And we frame constantly. These are two things which God has said. I was teaching the pastors yesterday from Joshua 1.8. Meditate upon my word day and night. And then scripture says, pray without ceasing. These are two facets of a believer's life. It never ceases in his life. 
Praying is not what happened over here. That's a small part of Pastor Vijay's life. But that's not what praying is. Let's go to that portion. I didn't give it to you, but just as an aside before, because it just came to my mind. In First Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13, this is Hannah coming to the temple she, at Shiloh. And she is broken. She wants a baby. But now she is ready because as she has gone through this brokenness for years, now her will and God's will are aligning. And she is there. And scripture says it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli washed her mouth. She's praying and he's watching her mouth. Why? Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. See, the priest was looking at this woman, her lips are moving, there is no sound. Man is only able to look at the lips, but God looks at the heart. He thought she was drunk. Now this is what God is talking about. When he is talking about praying without ceasing, it is your thought, when you are, it's your heart, when you are awake, when you are Sleeping, your subconscious mind or your conscious mind at your heart, you're always praying. You're always praying. And nobody can stop that. No Eli can see that, but God sees that. In her heart, she was praying. Well, the priest thought she was drunk. That's what God is talking about. Pray without ceasing. Meditate upon my word. You may be in your workplace before your system going through a whole process, but your entire thinking is framed by the word of God. You are meditating upon the word day and night, even as you're processing information. You're watching news. You're processing information according to the word of God. Because your mind is framed by the word of God. And says God says, you are meditating upon the word day and night. Therefore, the choices you make and the reactions you have to different, we say in English, external stimuli is based on the word of God. And it is to that process little by little by little by little God is taking. And we also saw that yesterday in from, let's have that too, in Second Samuel. Why God sees stuff which others don't see? Others won't see that in First Samuel again in chapter 3. Verse 2 and 3. Chapter 3 verse 2. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place. And when his eyes had begun to grow so dim he could not see. And verse 3 says, And before the Lamb of the God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down. You know what scripture actually says? Eli went to sleep in his usual place. But the little boy went to sleep before the ark. And therefore God spoke to him. This is a spiritual truth. Even when you go to sleep in your spirit, your head is facing God and he speaks to you. Your head is not towards the last movie you saw or the last game you played. Your head is towards the ark of the Lord from where God said, I will speak to you in the mercy seat. That These are spiritual truths we see and we say, Lord, I learned something from little Samuel, Lord, today. Tonight when I go to sleep, my head will be faced in your direction. Speak to me. It's a consistent. Therefore, even when you dream, you will dream scripture. He speaks to you in your dreams. And no nightmares. Learn these things. Learn these things because you know there is something that coming which God him. If God, if I say it is one thing, I tell my children, imagine I tell children, you have no clue what daddy has for you. They can imagine, at least they know their daddy. He can't go beyond that. When God says, I have been seen, no ears heard what I am preparing for you. 
Do we have any clue what eternity is? And we, should, we are disinterested. No, understand this. So when you go through the word, it is the mind. The mind has to change. The mind has to be fascinated by this person of God, the person of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 21, scripture says, yeah, Paul makes this statement. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. Very strange. He says, when God called you, when God saved you, were you a slave? Don't be worried about it. Don't be worried about it. What a statement. He says, you are a slave, you belong to somebody, and you got saved. Are you now worried? I am a, I am a saved person, and I am a slave. He says, if you can buy your freedom, go ahead. But, don't be worried about it. Why? The next statement. Verse 22. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. He says slavery is a fact of the body. Freedom is in the mind. It's in the mind. You can be the richest person on earth owning a thousand slaves and yet be a slave in your mind. Yet you can be a slave of a rich man and be free in your mind. It's the mind that counts. You can be free. Think differently of life. Because people connect freedom with outside things. That's why all the apostles, you will see them groaning literally through the pages of the Bible. What are they groaning for? To get rid of this body so they know we are free. This body, we are so... Gung-ho about this body, feeding this body, clothing this body, resting this body. All the apostles wanted to get rid of this body because they knew real freedom lies. This body is the hindrance. My spirit will be free to worship God. They loved worshiping God and they realized, how much can I worship God in this body? They loved serving God. How much can I serve God in this body? There are limits. This body gets tired. And they wanted to worship him and serve him forever. And they saw this body not as a friend, but something that limits them. While we see this body and everything is about this body. Yet when God sent Moses to Israel, he told the Pharaoh two things. Israel is my firstborn son. Let him go that he may worship me. Israel is my firstborn son. Let him go that he may serve me. My salvation and your salvation is to worship him and to serve him. And if we haven't understood that, we are slaves. We are not free men. Free men know that inside, whatever my situation, it doesn't matter. I worship God. I serve God. So get this in our minds. Think about life differently. Real life, it's not beginning here. Real life will beginning there. And in your soul, you taste a little of heaven, of eternity. What is that freedom to worship God? What is the freedom to serve God in difficult circumstances on earth? And how wonderful will be it to be able to worship God? So those people in those underground churches and the churches where I have been, when they come quietly, secretly, in biting cold at five in the morning, six in the morning, hiding from the cops, looking like normal people as if they are going jogging and they slip into the church and they worship and they are not able to use instruments, you know, sound system, nothing but they worship. Imagine their joy one day in heaven they can preach, worship God. Nothing to stop them. No, 
So we have to see. So when we see our freedom, we see our liberty, when saying, Lord, I am going to really value this because you know what? I have, which most of my brethren around the world do not have. They would give their right hand to have this, this freedom to worship. So we value things in the light of God's kingdom. Otherwise, if we only keep our eyes on these things of the world, which is all connected with this, this body, everything in this world is connected with this body. Even the life insurance you take. You're insuring your body. Nobody insures their soul. Find out from any insurance agency, can I want to insure my soul? They'll say, sir, no. Not possible. Only body. Vehicle insurance, medical insurance, everything is the body. Can you find anybody in the world who will insure your soul? Yes, Jesus. He said, I can insure your soul. Anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, his soul is insured. And I will put a deposit. When you insure your vehicle, your life, your house, you put the deposit. But when he insures you, he puts the Holy Spirit as a deposit. That's the difference. That's our God. We have to see life differently. Otherwise, like the Bible itself says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Unlike before I was saved. Before I was saved, I enjoyed books, I enjoyed music, I enjoyed movies, all the things I enjoyed and there was not a twinge of guilt. After I met Jesus, those same things could never satisfy you. Never. And believers, when they try to satisfy themselves in the things of the world, are automatically made miserable because that is the saved man's default setting. You cannot be satisfied with anything outside Christ. Cannot be. You cannot, you try it, you will be miserable. You can have the best of everything, but deep inside you realize there is something empty. The reason is you are trying to fill that with things. And God says, not possible. So we saw yesterday in detail, Jesus teaching everything in the context of the kingdom of God. Listen to the pastor's message. You will hear in two languages, so you will understand better. I mean, Telugu speaking people. You'll understand it better. Everything Jesus taught in Matthew itself, I was just going through Matthew, at least 50 times Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, kingdom of God, everything. He started preaching about John the Baptist, Jesus, all the parables are connected with the kingdom of God. If his focus is all on the kingdom of God, why should we preach about the world? In Matthew 13, verse 16 and 17, he says, Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Your eyes are blessed if you see. Your ears are blessed if you hear. He says, why? For assuredly I say to you, and he's not talking about the bad people or the people of the world. He says, even the prophets and the righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Most of the Old Testament prophets and righteous men had no clue about the kingdom of God because it was a mystery, hidden. God didn't reveal it to them. Well, Daniel knew it, some people here and there knew it, but most of them had absolutely no clue about the kingdom of God. And the gospel and the life is all about the kingdom of God that is coming. And he says, he's telling the apostles, you are able to see, you are able to hear something that was hidden from the prophets. And, and when we hear it, we need to be excited. Am I able to hear Am I able to see? 
The question is, how do we hear? How do we see? I told the pastors yesterday, we hear here. We hear here. We see there. We don't see here. We see there. We don't see here. We see there. That's the difference. That's how you know you have heard and you have seen. Otherwise, we are the most miserable of people because we heard here and we saw here because our hope in Christ is only for now. Give me a big house, give me a big car, give me a big job, give me a gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. See, all know it well. We haven't seen. We heard, but we did not see. We heard and we translated with our carnal mind to this earthly realm. We did not see. We did not really hear. That's why scripture says faith comes from. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. Unseen. Look at Abraham in Abraham in Hebrews 11, 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. He heard here. God said, leave your father, leave your father's household, go. He packed up and he went. But he had no clue where he was going. Because you have to keep hearing. Directions are, it's like GPS. As you keep moving, it will tell you, turn left, turn left. That lady will tell and she speaks the logo terribly. <laughs> okay. 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 But God is a very quiet, beautiful voice. He will say, turn left, turn right. The GPS is moving on. But he doesn't know where he is going. He heard here, but he saw there. Scripture 10. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He heard here, but he saw there. If you do not hear here and see there, if you hear here and make it into something here, you will be miserable. You will be miserable. Because scripture says this to Abraham at different points. Walk the land. Hundred years he walked the land. Living, the richest man in the land, living in tents. Not allowed to build a house because you cannot move your house. There are no trailer trucks then. You cannot move your house. You have a tent. So live in a tent. Are you rich? Yes. Live in a tent. Why? We have to keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. For how many years? hundred years. Can I buy? No. Graveyard? Yes. Land? No. That's what scripture says. He was not given, had a foot of land to hold his own. How do you walk like this if you haven't heard here and seen there a city without foundations? He saw a city without a foundation and a palace of gold up there. What was the city that he saw? He saw a city that was the Jerusalem from above. The book of Galatians, Paul says this in Galatians 4.26. But Jerusalem from above is free, which is the mother of us all. So here is a man who is living like a nomad. Like an alien in a strange land. Moving, moving, moving. Because all of us in our mind, the earthly mind, we want to settle down. We want to, uh, what do fathers come and meet me in the office and say, fathers and mothers, I want to settle my daughter. What do they want to do? Settle. And when they are settled, they are so happy. One mother gave me five hugs and five kisses on that wedding day. So happy because the daughter is settled. Then we want to buy a house of our own so that we want to settle down. Then we want a secure, if possible, government job because it is a good settlement. (laughs) See? But here is a man who is not settling anywhere. 
But he's a free man. Why is he free? Because he knows his settlement is there in Jerusalem. We have to see differently. If we don't see differently, our thinking will not change. And we can use the very word of God with our carnal minds and then later towards the end of our life suddenly realize what a goof of did I make. Like Lot. He didn't have, he didn't realize it on the way. He realized only at the end of his life when it was too late. By then it is too late. God says you are a righteous man. You believed at least to, not to sin. Come through the fire, lose everything. Lost everything. We should not realize these truths at the end of our life. It is too late. Your salvation is untouched because that's the work of God. But you end up with nothing in heaven. You stored nothing in heaven. So understand this. Everything in the world is aimed at our mind. Even you young children always. You, you need to ask this question. Why do we invest so much in your education? Not that you get a good job in this world. So that you understand scripture better. That's my reason. No other reason. And you take your knowledge and turn it from the world and become a reprobate. All your investment is a waste. I was telling the pastors yesterday. Here is God. Sends his only begotten son. He is in a house. His hand picked a father and a mother for him. Joseph is a carpenter. You know how the ancient world was, the Judaic ancient Christian world was. Here is a father who is a carpenter. He is teaching his son a trade. What is that? Carpentry. And what is education? The Bible. This is education. Trade is carpentry. Bible is the education. We turned it around. Now what we have? We made this a trade. We are selling this gospel and we have made education into the secular realm. And God says there will be very few who will realize that is not the way this is. This is education. The way I think, the way I perform, the way I subject myself to every decisions in life, I will be educated by this. And not what happens in the universities. You ask this question anywhere in the free world. Why is that believing children when they go out to college, almost 9 out of 10, if not 99 out of 100, come out as unbelievers? Why do they ask the question? Why they say America is at the bridge of a collapse? One more generation, no more Christianity. Why? Because a young generation doesn't believe. Who made them unbelievers? The church or the universities? The universities. And we are paying through our nose to make unbelievers of our own children. Ask these serious questions. Very, very serious questions. That is where we look forward and say, Lord, help me to make, because you need faith to make these decisions because you have to hear from God. Knowledge alone is not enough. You need to hear it. Lord, I am sure this is what you want me to do. I'm making a decision based on this. Your word I am willing to suffer loss here. I'm willing to lose my name here. I'm willing to lose anything here if I will gain there. Jesus says a man will have to even lose his own life. What is that life? The life of name, fame, reputation on earth to receive a name and a fame there. You will have to. Because it is the mind. Because everything in the world is aimed at our mind. And everything in the world is also aimed at our mind. And like we looked earlier in the year, whoever has your mind will ultimately have your body. And it has to sink into our mind. It's not enough. Now you are hearing. That's not enough. 
Why do we attack the truth from, not attack, attach. The truth from so many different angles, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after, every time, so that it does sinks into you. It has to sink into our mind and go into the depth of our heart. The point when circumstances come, we are unshakable. We saw that, I was showing the pastors yesterday. What brought down Goliath? In First Samuel, yes. What brought down Goliath? David put his hand in his back, took out a stone and he slung it and it struck the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sank. It's not because it hit him. It sunk into his forehead. That brought him down. Ideas are like that. Ideas, what makes an, a, a believer an atheist? What makes an atheist a socialist? What makes a socialist a communist? Because ideas have sunk in. It sinks in. Otherwise, you just filter with thoughts. Ideas may hit you. You will get all emotionally agitated when you go from here. It also goes away because it didn't sink in. It didn't sink in. It has to sink in. Once it sinks in, that idea is dead. This is a spiritual truth. Goliath here represents for us in the new covenant strongholds that are established in our minds. There are strongholds established. And Paul talks about God through Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 and 5. The weapons of a warfare are not carnal, are not of this earth, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. It has to be brought has to be brought, and I'm telling you parents sitting over here with so many of you with small children, don't get so excited when your child does all these things. What you should excited is when your child obeys you. Bend the will of your child to your will now. So that they will bend their will to God's will one day. Don't encourage your child to be independent now. You will regret it one day. Do not Teach your child to be dependent to your desires so that one day the child will be dependent upon the desires of God. We have taken this philosophy from the world of making our children so independent, doing everything by their own. And we say, my child, you will realize that child will not listen to anybody when they grow up because it's already been independent in his thinking and in his will. Don't make this mistake. Go through the... Hannah bent the will of Samuel to her will. And her will was bent to the will of God. So that kid could go over to this temple, see all these ungodly things happening around. But his will was bent in the direction of God. Therefore nobody could touch him. Joseph's will was bent to the will of his father. And his father's will was bent to the will of God. So Joseph could not be touched. We take these Benjamin Spock and all these people. I've read all these people. I know where their ideas and theories come from. Don't go to Benjamin Spock. Go to the God of Benjamin. He is the one who is the truth. We have picked up all these philosophies and ideas and secular psychology and we have pumped it into our children and now we are regretting why are they reprobates. They are reprobates because we did not teach them to believe God and to obey God. And we found pleasure in their independence because it was less trouble for us. Parenthood has to be troublesome. It's not less trouble. 
It's not less trouble. That's what it said about Jesus. You opened my ears and I was not rebellious. Do not allow your children to be rebellious. Because the first picture of God a child sees is his father and his mother. And especially the father. And when my father, when I was small, he didn't have to say it. All he had to was clear his throat. And we were all stiff and obedient. He did have to take... I remember my first time as a childhood coming over there into Kerala, sitting in my grandfather's kitchen and all that mallu food over there and I couldn't, I didn't like it at all. I couldn't eat it at all. My father was sitting and he just looked at me and everything disappeared. <laughs> everything disappeared. Today you have to cajole and ice cream and TV, nothing. Nothing. You know. Therefore a day came when that God whom my father did not know until he died. And he called me. You don't buckle under pressure. You realize that voice is genuine. You don't realize we are taking all these things and we have, we, we, our thinking is not shaped by the word. Our thinking is being shaped by the world. Don't do it. It will create that's why it says every thought, every, everything that comes from the secular realm, see that. Does it agree with God's word and the patterns and the experiences of people? If I apply this to my child and my child is very independent in his thinking, independent in his habit, if one day like Abraham, can I tie that child on the altar? Ask this question. Our children would punch you in the nose if you even try to take them up the mountain. Forget tie him all to the altar. That's what it talks. Two verses in Isaiah. I heard your voice and I was not rebellious. I did not turn like one rebellious written about Jesus. And then scripture says, this is the beginning of his life as a child and the end of his child. I gave my face to be, my beard to be plucked. I gave my face to be spat upon. He stood there. Why? Father said, drink from that cup. His will, his emotions, his feelings, his everything was against that the previous night. Father, take this cup of him. He's Bleeding. And his father said, no. And he said, not my will, your will. Once he's agreed to his father's will, he goes and he stands there. You can spit on me, you can beat me up, you can do anything. No problem. My will is bent to the will of my father. That's how missionaries are made. He was the first real missionary. That's how missionaries are made. The will. Like the Moravian missionaries, when they left Europe in those ages and came to India and all, when they left their home, they said bye to their families, never to go back. That's how they came. That's how Christianity was spread in India. Not by Vasco da Gama and all, but the Moravian missionaries. There's a bunch of crooks who came for money. And all the governments only talk about that. But there were a bunch of dedicated men and women who left their homes, came here, lived with the natives, learned the languages and died with the natives. You go through India, you will see their graves. They never went back because they knew they had lifted their hand to the living God and the father of their soul. And God in these last days needs men and women and children like that. Every thought, pull it down. Let it agree with the word of God. Anything, whether you are a student, whether you are a parent, whether you are a worker, whether you are a pastor, is irrelevant. The word of God is a defining word. There's nothing beyond and outside it. I shall live and I shall die by this. Then you have a hope, a hope which is real, a hope of glory. So like the stone sank into Goliath's head, these strongholds can be 
broken and brought down. It doesn't matter how long it has been there. It's irrelevant. Can be pulled down by the word of God and replaced with the word of God. That's what Jesus was talking about actually in John 8 and verse 32. You shall know the truth. He said, he didn't say you shall hear the truth. He didn't say you shall read the truth. He said you shall know the truth. Knowing in that Bible, biblical word is an intimate union with truth, where truth has become part. Adam knew his wife and she had Cain. You shall know the truth. The truth has become a part of you. And what that truth now births through you is freedom. It's a result of a union because God is truth. And you have received your soul, that truth, your soul has united with the truth of God and you are free. So it doesn't matter whether you are a slave, you are God's free man. It doesn't matter because it's all inside. If you are not free here, you are not free. That's why scripture says, as a man thinketh, so is he. As a man thinketh or as a man thinks, so is. And after some time, once his mind is now framed by truth, that's what he is. That's the way he thinks. Because his mind is, he becomes what is called, your mind is being framed by truth and now you become true. Jesus' mind is framed by truth, therefore he is called the true and the faithful. He's faithful to truth and he is truth because his mind is framed by truth. Because people buy these lies. They buy this lie like, my life is hard. That's why I'm depressed. My life is hard. That's why I'm angry. My life is hard. That's why I'm upset. That's not the truth. You are depressed. That's why you see your life is hard. That's why you see your life hard. You are angry, thoughts, that's why you see your life as hard. As a man thinks. Why was Joseph not depressed in his father's house? Have anybody have lived in a house where you have ten elder brothers who hate you and three stepmothers and your mother is dead? You want to talk about dysfunctional family? He came from the most dysfunctional family at that time. Father has one surviving wife, two concubines, your mother is dead and you have ten elder brothers who would like to kill you. He was not depressed. Was he depressed? Why was Joseph not mad at Potiphar's wife? As you think, so you are. Why was he not plotting revenge in prison instead looking for an opportunity to serve? Because as you think, you are. Why didn't Joseph smack his lips when he saw his brothers coming and bowing down? This was the moment I had dreamt for so many. That's how he'll say, no? So many years. Did he? No. That's why 500 years later, through Moses, God will write, the history of Joseph in 13 chapters of the first book of the Bible to show you as a man thinks that so is he. Learn from Joseph. Everything in our minds must be framed, firmly established by truth 
That's the word of God. And see the experience of truth in the lives of people in the word of God. Everything. What is the first truth revealed to Joseph by God? What is the first truth? Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers that they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamt. There was, they were binding sheep. Okay, we know all this. Okay, he says, your sheep all stood around and bowed down to my sheep. Sheep. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign? So they immediately say, interpretation of dreams are very easy. They got it immediately. What are you saying? You're going to rule over us? You're going to rule over us? It didn't stop there. Second one. He told it to his father and brother's father. What is this dream that you have dreamt? Shall I, you, your mother and I, your brothers, indeed come to bow down to earth before you? He also got it. Two dreams. What was the dream? The first word that comes to Joseph as revealed in the word is that you are called to reign. This is your destiny. What's your destiny? You're called to reign. Period. You are called to reign. And that's the principle of God's law. In John 8 and verse 17, Jesus repeats from Deuteronomy. He says, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. That any testimony to be true, first the men have to be true. That's all the Bible says. And then the testimony of two true men have to agree. It's not that. Because you have to realize precedent in the Bible. Jezebel took two robes and testified against poor Naboth and had him killed. That's not the Bible says. When a man brings a false accusation, examine him to see that he is true. And the judgment of a false witness was supposed to be the judgment of the accused. That if somebody was accusing, like if I was accusing Samir of murder when I haven't known or seen or anything, when I am found that I am wrong and he is right, I have supposed to be executed for being a false witness. That was the law. The scripture says in the mouth of two witnesses, everything should be established. And God is the true witness. It's a true witness. This is the principle. God gave him two witnesses, two dreams, not one, two to establish so that it would sink into his spirit. Joseph, don't look at your situation. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at your surroundings. Do not forget your destiny. You are called to reign. Don't forget it. This is your destiny. In Hebrews 6 and verse 16, scripture says, For men indeed swear by the greater, an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. You know, that's why in India we will say, Baba ke naame, ma ke naame, we'll always swear by somebody higher. Verse 13 says, When God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. So when God speaks to us, it's a sworn statement by the greatest. When God spoke to Joseph by two dreams, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. When God has spoken to you something and it is corroborated by the word, you don't have to worry because nobody can ever change it. It is impossible for it to change because there is nobody greater than God. You know, one of the first verses, I didn't know the words then when I got saved 34 years ago. Okay, one of the first verses to sing. I found, discovered that verse in James 1, 17. Every good, not this part, okay? Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of... Meaning, you don't have to worry about God. 
He never changes. If he has said something, you don't. You only have to wait for the time to come into pass. You know how I heard this first? In my first week as a saved person, I can still in my mind's eye remember that we had four floors in our hostel in Marivanios, that one room which the hostel warden had given for EU, the Students' Union Bible Study. We used to gather over there, three or four of us, and I had never had the practice of singing Christian songs because I grew up... Uh, practically in a country where there was no Christianity. So there was no habit of singing songs, definitely not English songs. No English song, no hymns, nothing in my life. And one of the first songs, I still remember the first two songs I learned. One was, Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. And the other was, Great is thy faithfulness, O God. And what does it say? There is no shadow of turning with thee. Then I one day I discovered, this is where that verse is. You are so faithful, you never break your word. Your word is yes and amen. If you have spoken something into my life, it will come to pass. It is mine to possess and it is mine to lose by disobedience. No one can take it away from you. No shadow of turning with thee. Two dreams he gave. Two dreams. My question to you is, do you believe the word? What has been spoken? That's what was spoken to Joseph. Joseph, you are destined to reign. You were born to reign. After that, he saw life in the light of that revelation. Everything that happened in his life, he's able to withstand it without compromising, without buckling under pressure, because he saw his destiny. If I am destined to reign, these are all stepping ladders, steps towards that. This is not against me, this is for me. That's how the Bible narrative from Genesis to Psalm is such a different thing. We know that, Psalm 105, yeah. He sent a man before them, Joseph, God, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord was spoken to him when he was 17 years ago. You are destined to reign. Now the same word is testing you. If you are a king, we want to test you. Will you act like a king? Because kingship is not outside. Kingship is inside. If you are a king, act like a king. Be like a king. Will you? Tested him, tested him, tested him, tested him. Until the word of God proved him. And then the king sent and released him. You're free. That king was not Pharaoh. That king was the king of kings who used the hand of Pharaoh. How did Pharaoh release him? Because God gave a dream to Pharaoh, which only that man could interpret. Pharaoh released him. The ruler of the people, he made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions and he taught his princes. That's how it worked out. That is so. so the question is this. The word has to be proved true in our life too. Your and my destiny is to reign. Don't forget your destiny. Don't get fooled by this world. This is not where our destiny is. Our destiny is to rule. How did Joseph reach the throne? Now let's look at the core of it. What did God tell through Solomon in Proverbs 3 and 3? Remember, we looked at a few Wednesdays back, a couple of months. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Solomon is saying, 
Two things should not forsake you. What is that? Mercy and truth. Bind them around your neck. Let it be written, marked, sunk into the tablet of your heart. Mercy and truth. Never. Why? Proverbs 20 verse 28. Mercy and truth preserves the king. And by loving kindness, KJV will say, by mercy he upholds his throne. Mercy and truth preserves the king. And by loving kindness or mercy, he upholds his truth. Everything in our life should be upheld by this. In Revelation 5 and verse 10, scripture says, you have made us. God is looking into the future and talking about a set of people in the 2000 year time of the church. A set of people will come out. He sees. Therefore, he speaks because God always speaks by faith. He looks it in the unseen at the end of the millennium and he says, you have made us kings and priests of our God and we shall reign on earth. So God looks at us. He looks at everyone who believes, everyone who's hearing and says, you are sitting in Alwar, you are sitting in Somajigoda, you are sitting in Banjara Hills, you are in school, you are in college, you are in hospital, irrelevant. Remember your destiny. You are called to reign. And if you are called to reign, I'm going to take you through a process where you come when the word of God has proved you, it has been bound in your heart. Mercy and truth has been bound in your heart because that is what keeps the king. That is what keeps the king. That's the whole purpose. Now let, let's look at two things scripture talks about. What was the whole duty of the priest? In Malachi 2.7, for the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of the host. That's what I tell pastors everywhere, especially those who preach and teach. I said, don't run around like headless chickens. Sit in your place and study. Because God has ordained you as a priest now, from your lips should come the knowledge of the holy. For you are a messenger of God. You don't have to pick your messages from TV. You pick your messages from your from the word of God on your knees. You are struggling and your churches are struggling. The reason is, this is what God has ordained for the priest. From the lips of the priest should come the knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God. That, that is true. The knowledge of God is the only truth. And people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That is the duty of a priest. The priest had two duties. One, to give the people the truth of God and then stand before God and plead for mercy. A real priest was one who had bound truth and mercy in him. He gave people the truth and pleaded for mercy. He says, you shall be in eternity, priest. Priest. Meditate upon my word day and night. You may be an IT employee. Don't forget you are a priest. When your lips open, when situations come, what you speak should be according to the knowledge of the living God. Not what the system says. Not what the system says. Remember who you are. This was precisely the reason. Because this is what a man should do, a priest should do. Study, study, pray, understand the ways of God and give it to the people. Therefore God made this provision in his law, which again repeated in Chronicles. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. That's what in modern day world, but that's what is your SRF. Don't worry about, go do your research. 
We will fund you. Senior Research Fellowship. In our days, JRF was 1800, SRF was 2200. Today it is 40 or 50,000, right? 40,000. We spend hours and hours and hours and hours in the library for 1800 rupees. That is a big amount then, okay? What I'm telling you is this. Don't worry about resources. Eleven tribes shall take care of you. You take care of eleven tribes. From your mouth shall come knowledge. Not natak. Knowledge. Knowledge. That's how God had put it. And it is in this context, towards the end of the Judaic history, God says in Hosea 4, 6, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Why? People are not receiving knowledge from the priests, because the priests are so busy with business. That's why he was so mad when he came into the temple. He said, what the heck is happening in my house? It's become a business place. This is not a business place. This is a place where knowledge of God was supposed to go. It's become business. You, because you have rejected knowledge. Who? The priest. He says, you rejected knowledge. I will also reject you from becoming a priest for me. That's what he's saying. You are now taking tithes. Now you are not satisfied with your tithes. Now you decide that I will take my tithes and I am going to be a businessman. Microfinancing. Macrofinancing. I am going to invest. You forgot who you were. You forgot the purpose which the support was coming from into the temple. It was so that you would devote yourself to the law of the Lord. And from your lips, the word of God would go to the people. And when it doesn't go, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If people reject your knowledge, the blood is not on their on your head. But if you do not give them knowledge, the blood is upon your head. That's what he told Ezekiel. I've appointed you as a watchman. Your job is to blow a trumpet. If you see and you don't blow, blood on your heads. You blow, they don't talk, it's blood on their heads. But if a trumpet blows an un, un, uncertain sound, how will people receive correction? Priests are there plenty blowing their trumpet. People don't know what they are saying. Because it's not based on the word. It's based on the world. Only the word of God has the power to change lives. Only the word of God will not fall to the ground. It will always achieve its purpose. Either faith or faithlessness. It doesn't go neutral. It never goes neutral. The word of God will either achieve faith or it will achieve faithlessness today. Jesus can go heal everybody in Israel. He will go to Nazareth and he will not be healed anybody because of their lack of faith. There was nothing wrong in him. Nothing wrong in him. It will never fall to the ground. So understand mercy and truth. And you are priests, all of you in your different capacities, meditate upon the word. Get the principles of the word into your mind, into your heart, into your thing. Because both the king and the priest, both had to be defined by two things. If you look into their spiritual necks, it's hanging over there. What? Truth and mercy. That's the picture of Joseph you get. Truth and mercy. Will you go serve your brother? Daddy calls. They are in Hebron. Brothers are in Sishem. They have gone further to Dothan. Daddy calls and says, uh, Joseph, will you go serve your brothers? The question is not, does your brothers love you? The question is not how far the distance is. The question is, who is speaking to me? 
That's the only question. My father is speaking to me. I have come to do your will, O Lord, not mine. That's the only thing that matters. The rest are facts. The rest are opinions. Opinions and facts cannot stand before truth once you have known the truth. The third servant in that the story of the miners, he said, you gave me one, I'm giving you one because I know you are a heart. That's an opinion. The fact is that who told you? Do business with my miner. Your boss told you. Your king told you. Your honor told you. Your lord told you. Your master told you. That's the truth. Rest is irrelevant. How far the distance is, how terrible the people are, all are irrelevant. The only thing that matters is, my God, my God, you told me, go down, die for them. That is my truth. Rest is irrelevant. They spit on me, they beat me up, they, they pluck my beard, they nail me, all that is irrelevant. The fact is, what you told is the truth. Before that, opinions and feelings and facts do not stand. That's how you frame truth in your mind. What have you spoken, God? You have spoken through my father. I receive it. The rest are irrelevant. The rest is irrelevant. Joseph bound himself with truth towards his father. And he bound himself with mercy towards his brothers. When? 60 miles. Sishen, where is my brothers? Did you see? Oh, your brothers. They've gone. They have to go to Dothan. Another 10 miles he goes to serve his father and to serve his brother. My father, my brother. That's the truth. Mercy and truth. Bound. He bound himself with truth towards Potiphar, my boss, and with mercy towards Potiphar's wife. He bound himself with truth towards the prison warden who made him overseer and mercy towards the other. He bound himself with truth towards the Pharaoh and showed mercy to the whole world. Therefore, famine came and people all came to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, go to Joseph. The whole world is coming to a merciful man who has bound himself with truth so that they can be fed. That's why he became king. That's the nature of a king. That's the heart of a king. Much before he was called by the Pharaoh, much before the Pharaoh says, put on this robe, put this necklace on his neck, put this ring, let him be in my chariot. Before all that happened, Joseph was already a king in his heart. The crown came later, but he was already a king in his heart. That's what God is looking at and says, who are the kings and the queens sitting over here already who have bound themselves with truth and mercy? Your crown awaits you. Why was Paul able to see that crown? Because he had bound himself for truth. That's why he died. Yet the people who followed him, beat him up, created havoc in his life. He said, Lord, have mercy on them. With mercy. You can see your crown when you look into your life. No crown can make you a king if in your heart you are not a king. It's only a decoration which will go. Many kings were crowned in this world. They are all gone. But some of them will be up in heaven. King here, king there. For one day the head and the crown will meet. If your heart is bound by mercy and truth. Who is the king? 
Who is the true king? Remember that uh, story of uh, Solomon? Who is the true mother? Either bring the baby, cut it. Suddenly the true mother. So the true mother was not revealed through outward affections. The true mother was revealed through mercy. Don't kill the baby. Let her take it. Let her take it. Let her take it. Let her take it. She knows it's all about, but I don't want. Revealed by mercy. Let it, let, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. In the same way, who is the true king? King Saul with a crown on his head and an army of 3,000 chasing David? Or J- David hiding with 600 men in a cave? Who is the true king? One has got a crown, the other has no crown. Both have been anointed. There have been stages in Israel's history when there were two kings. Who is the true king? One chasing, the other fleeing. One with 3,000 men, the other with 600 hiding. One with a spear in his hand. The other with an unseen scepter. One is looking for an opportunity to kill him. The other when he gets opportunities extends mercy. Who is the king? Every opportunity he gets to become a king of this world, he refuses and extends mercy. He says, no, I will not. I will not. Because the real king extends mercy. His people said, he is your enemy, kill him. He said, no, you don't know the truth. You're looking at the outward circumstances that says, if I kill Saul now, conflict over, I can take over the kingdom. But there is a problem. There is his truth. What is the truth? First Samuel 24, 6. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. He said, there is a problem. He's not a self-appointed man. He was anointed by God. He was anointed by God. Only God can move him. I cannot. Back off. It doesn't matter what he looks like. Don't forget the nature of the oil that was put on his head. Back off. Back off. You're running into trouble. God anointed him. God placed him. God removes him. It's not my place. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth. And Saul hears that he was actually right there in the cave and there was he at the edge of his death. That three, six hundred men wanted to kill him. One man restrained them. When he realized that, look at his response in the other verses. Yeah. So it was when David had finished speaking these words, Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. Then he said to David, you're more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you. For what you have, for the good what you have done to me this day and twentieth, for now I know indeed you shall surely be king. He says, realize, mukavala between two kings. One king sees and says, I know you will be king because you have the heart of the king. Nobody can stop you now. Nobody can stop you now. I know you will be king because you extended mercy 
to your enemy. You know, if I'm right, my memory may be faulty. The Civil War of the U.S. or the Napoleon's age for that soldier, I think, one of the soldiers, some uh, dereliction in duty, slept on duty, whatever. He was caught and, you know, during war to sleep on guard duty is a capital punishment. So he was to be executed. The mother came and begged with Napoleon or Lincoln, I don't know, one of these two, said, Sir, sir, my lord, my lord, have mercy upon my son. The king's answer was, your son does not deserve mercy. And her reply was, my lord, if he deserves mercy, then it is not mercy. None of us deserve mercy. Only a king can extend mercy. None of us deserve mercy. Mercy is not deserved. It's never earned. It's freely given by a king. David was a true king. In the cave, hiding in the darkness, unaware of the whole world doesn't know him. He acted like a king. God says, in your darkness, in your caves, when you are struggling with enmity and thoughts, can you in your darkness, where only God sees, extend the hand of mercy, you are a king. Because we all struggle like David in our own caves. And we have power, we know we have power over our enemy. But God says, will you extend mercy? So the question is, how do you see yourself? Because unless you see yourself in the light of God's word, this is what my destiny is. You have spoken over all of us. You have spoken over me. You shall be a kingdom of, you shall be a king and a priest forever. And reign the earth. If that's my destiny, make me Lord. Inside, first a king. One day, the head and the crown will meet. In Romans 5 verse 17, scripture says this, If by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more than those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, will reign in love through that one, Jesus Christ. If you look that day in Jerusalem, they were all these powerful Ananias and Caiaphas in their ornamented robes. You could see Pilate with the power of Rome behind, Herod sitting with the power of the empire behind him, and then you could see a man hanging on the cross. But he was the true king, because when he opened his mouth, he extended mercy and said, Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they are doing, because he was the real king. And God says, through Christ, that same Christ, reign in life. Truth and mercy. Truth and mercy. Bind it. Not at the cost of truth. Not at the cost of mercy. Bind it. Reign in life. So it doesn't matter who you are on earth. You could be walking in chapels on the streets of Hyderabad. In your heart, you can be a king. Don't let anybody judge you by your outward appearance. What matters is, what are you in your heart? Where are you seated in your heart? In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says, He raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Know where you are seated. If you know you are seated in Christ Jesus, then act like a king and a queen in your life. Bind these things. Learn, learn from scripture. Let scripture become life for you. This is not sentiments. There is nothing sentimental either about truth or mercy. These are hard, cold facts of scripture. 
This is nothing sentimental. This is consistently. It works out more and more and more. The more you walk in truth, the more truth he reveals. The more you walk in mercy, the more merciful he makes you. It's hard facts of life. You grow in it. In Genesis 42 verse 6 and 7. Joseph was governor over the land. It was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from land of Canaan to buy food. Here is Joseph. He spoke roughly to them. That's the face of truth. Truth is very rough. Very rough. That's why I keep telling Vijay, Pastor Vijay and Eric and all my pastors, I tell them, from here, truth, come down, the mercy. Cannot compromise with truth here. Spoke to them roughly. Very roughly. But that was not his heart. That was his face. Heart? Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come. Because truth is the one that convicts you. When they heard all the things Joseph was saying, they had no clue it was Joseph. They had sold Joseph almost 20, 20, 20, 13 plus 7, 20, 21 years earlier. But 21 years earlier, if your guilt has not been washed away by the blood of Jesus, your guilt will look like a 4D movie in your eyes. With sound effects. What are they saying? Do you hear? We remember the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. We pulled him from the cave and when we sold him to the Amalekites, he was crying, Anna, Anna, don't sell me, please, Anna, forgive me, what did I do? It is not written in the Bible, but it is seen here. He was crying. And the brothers shut their ears to mercy. Now the cry is ringing in their mind. Do you remember how he cried? Do you remember how he wailed? Don't do this, don't do this, please, don't do this, don't do this, don't sell me. It's crying. Reuben answered and saying, did I not speak to you? Did I not tell you? Do not sin against the boy, but you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is upon us. You know what? He says, we sowed. Now we are reaping. Truth convicted them. And what happens? They did not know Joseph understood them. He was speaking through an interpreter pretending to be Egyptian. That's why when God speaks to us, it sounds like Latin and Greek. Until we are convicted. Once we are convicted, his voice becomes the still voice of the Holy Spirit. Till then it is Latin. Very, very difficult. Pa, Sanskrit. <laughs> but look at him. And he turned himself away from them and he wept. That's mercy. He wept. That's all he wanted. You think God wants to punish anyone of us? No. He only wants us to repent. When we repent, he cries. This was the moment I was waiting for. How many years I struggled with you, child, to bring you to this moment. You have no clue the joy of my father. He cries. Joseph cries. Truth and mercy. Thank you, Lord. Seek truth. Seek truth. 
and walk in mercy. Second trip they make. This was first trip. Second trip they make. 43. When Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house. Father has said, Lord, if it's from Jacob, we all learn how to bribe people. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) Brought him the present which was in their hand into the house, bowed down before him in the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? Through an interpreter, he's asking, okay? He wants to know about his father. Then they answered, your servant, our father is in good health. He is still alive. They bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? What did he say to him? Godly? If there is anybody here who have not sinned against God, knowingly, willingly, God looks at you and says, God be gracious to you. Doesn't tell the others. The others had sinned against him. This kid was innocent. God be gracious to you. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste, sought somewhere to weep. He went into his chamber and he wept there. Do you see he's a king? Do you see the heart of the king? He's not saying this was the day I was waiting for. Now shall be the day of my revenge. No, he wept. He wept. Then he washed his face, came out, he restrained himself and he said, serve the bread. What is the point? God will not reveal himself to us until we have come to the point of repent. They haven't repented yet. He will still speak to us through interpreters. He will not reveal himself. He will go inside, he will cry, he will wash his face and still look at that somber face. Okay, feed them bread. Because mercy is for the repentant. Still extending mercy, but for me to experience this, my heart has to change. Third trip. Third trip is different. Now Benjamin... Everybody is there. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore, now Judah is speaking. This is the third trip. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons and one went out from me and I said, surely he's torn to pieces. I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, It will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up to his brother's. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Simple. Judah is saying, when he thought Joseph was dead, my father almost died. Now his heart is tied with Benjamin. Now I told my father, you kept Benjamin in the second trip, I told my father, if I don't bring Benjamin back, I will stay in his place. I promise you with my life, I will get Benjamin back to you. For the first time, representing the ten brothers and one brother steps out and says, I will die 
in the place of my brother. Remember this we looked at many years ago. Remember? Twelve brothers are sitting there. Israel is there. Ten brothers, eleven brothers, and twelve, twelve brothers are there. One brother says, I will die for the rest. And therefore, the mantle comes upon him. Jesus will come from Judah and not from any other tribe. Because that is who Jesus is, who dies for his brothers. That is how Judah is. Because in all our lives, there will be a pivotal moment in our life when we have chosen to die and not to live. God says, you are of the tribe of Judah. A real king. Just suddenly in the picture you see two kings. Joseph is a king. Judah is a king. Two kings. Ask yourself these questions. What happens in 45? Then Joseph could not restrain himself. That is when Jesus reveals himself to you. That is when you know Jesus as Jesus. The day you die to yourself, you will know him. Till then, theology, understanding, revelation, all good. To know Jesus. If if I have to know Jesus, Jesus has to reveal himself to me. That happens when I am willing to die. Not love. We are all trying to love. Nobody is trying to die. The minute somebody stood and said, I will die, he could not. He, before all this, he cried out and said, make everyone go from here. All the Egyptians leave. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. He wept. Did you see the heart of Joseph? Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? And his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. That's what will happen, all of us, dismayed in his presence. That's why John the apostle who leaned on Jesus' breast, when he saw Jesus, he felt like one dead. Dismayed. And Jesus lifted up and said, come on, get up. I am he. They were terrified. Because they only saw the face of truth. They didn't see the heart of mercy. But once truth has been established, you know what the king Joseph says in 45 verse 4? Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Don't stand far off. Come near to me. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. The minute we acknowledge the truth, we will experience a closeness with Jesus. Which till then we will not. That's why 13 chapters for Joseph. Yet there is one there who has not sinned against Joseph. He has sinned, but he hasn't sinned knowingly against Jesus. Okay? He hasn't sinned against Joseph. Their sin and his sin is different. They have knowingly sinned against Joseph. He has never sinned against Joseph. So verse 15, 14, he will experience Joseph differently. He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept on his neck. I'm telling you honestly, when we, the church of the free world and the church of the persecuted world come together, you will see he weeping with them and they weeping with him. While he will weep with us, but it won't be the same because he loves us the same way, but we never loved him the same way. That's the difference. The next word scripture says, moreover he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And scripture doesn't say his brothers wept. They talked to him. 
Benjamin wept. Joseph wept. He wept over everybody. He kissed everybody. Jesus will kiss everybody. Will wipe everybody's tears off. But our reaction to him will be different based on the price we paid here. It won't be the same. So don't run away from these truths. Don't run away. The news reached Pharaoh. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph brothers have come. So it well pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And that's all. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals, depart, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father, your household and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. When the news reaches our father that the brothers and sisters of Joseph, Jesus has come, he will say, bring them all, bring them all. Let my house be full. You see the pictures. Time up on earth. Bring them all. Let my house be full. Because my sons, brothers and sisters have come. Bring them all. Load them with the goodies in heaven. Hershey's and Linden. Load them. Whatever your taste buds. I'm waiting for that day, you know. When my gums don't ache, my teeth don't creak, I will load myself with goodies then. No, I don't have diabetes. <laughs> I will not have diabetes either. These are the truths that will set us free. God says, bind mercy and truth around your neck. Do you see these things? Do you see in your mind's eye? A humble carpenter from Nazareth walking through the dusty streets of Jerusalem, of Galilee. Do you see a king? Do you see a king? People saw. Whenever Jesus stopped, it was a king stopping because his ears heard a cry. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. That's a king. He stops. Because mercy and truth shall be bound around him. He stops. Stops. Rama blind Barnabas, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. People told him, shut up. In Mark 10 and verse 49, its scripture is so clear. Jesus stood still and requested. No. Commanded. Bring him to me. You need to realize, he always walked as a king. Only the people didn't receive it. Bring him to me. He cried for mercy. Bring him to me. What do you need? That was the king walking on earth. Yet there is another scenario. Another scenario. Understand, he is binding truth and mercy. Not mercy alone or truth alone. In Matthew 15, verse 22-23. Not Mark, Matthew, Matthew. I'm sorry, my Mark and Matthew looks together. Same. Uh-uh. We ran to the beginning, not Genesis. A behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region, cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. He didn't answer a word. Why? Because on the king's neck, what is bound? Truth. And mercy. What did she call him? 
son of david you are not part of david you think a hindu or a muslim goes and prays our father who art in heaven he answers no if they say almighty god he answers truth they didn't answer he didn't say a word the disciples saying just you are such a merciful person no it's such a small request we have seen all these miracles just answer and send her away she's troubling us this answer what did he say he answered and said i was not sent except to the lost sheep of house of israel what did she call me son of david if i am the son of david i was sent to israel i'm not sent to others remember he went to the samaritan woman he saying i will go by what you call me i will go by what you call me i am truth and mercy son of david was sent to the house of israel she hears that verse 25 she came and worshiped him saying lord help me god will receive everybody's worship there's no problem with that she didn't say son of david lord help me have mercy help me so he asked a question or makes a statement which is a question he answered and said it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs basically he is asking do you know who you are you are asking me for mercy before i can show mercy you need to know who you are because only people who know who you are can be extended mercy do you know who you are because what you are asking is for it's not for dogs it's not for dogs revelation 22 outside are dogs outside heaven's gates everyone is a dog now it's not comparing people to a dog comparing people outside the kingdom to the nature of a dog second peter elaborates for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the lord and savior jesus christ they are again entangled them and overcome the latter end is worse for them than the beginning for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of the righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them for, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb a dog returns to his own vomit meaning gentiles when they sin they are convicted but they have don't have the power of the holy spirit to overcome sin so they go back to the sin like a dog goes back to the vomit he says do you know who you are you know you are wrong but you do not have the power to overcome it because that power comes from salvation that comes from the holy spirit you are a dog do you know who you are matthew 15 and verse 27 she acknowledges she she said yes lord I know who I am. I'm a dog. I know who I am. Yet even little dogs get crumbs. Dogs also get little mercy. Jesus was fascinated. Fascinated by our answer. In Psalm 85 verse 10, mercy and truth have met together righteousness and peace have kissed you know what he tells her jesus answered o woman great is your faith 
Let it be as you desire. I like your answer. I like it. Receive and live. Do you see a king? Kingship is inside. Everyone who becomes a king one day will discover a crown for him and for her in eternity. Kingship is defined by two things, mercy and truth, and righteousness and peace. Do you see a king? The scepter of his kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. God looks into your heart and sees you are seeking righteousness. Seek ye the kingdom of God. That's power and authority and righteousness. He sees your search. And he says, walk with peace towards all men. As far as possible for you. So you showed your feet with peace. So you are seeking righteousness. You are walking in peace. You are bound mercy and truth. God says you are a king. Just a matter of time. You will get a crown on your head. Everywhere you look, he was a king. Don't look him out whether he was on the cross or whether he was in the cradle or whether he was walking on the dusty streets. Don't look at the outward appearance. He was and walked like a king. In Mark 14 and verse 65, this is Jesus. This is when Jesus is arrested. The king is arrested now. They don't think he is the king. They began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Don't think the palms are soft like ours. These are Roman soldiers. They beat him. They are the most violent, ruthless soldiers. Not like soldiers of today. Today's soldiers are not ruthless like that because they kill from far. Those days soldiers don't kill from far. It is close combat. So they are ruthless. They will tear you into bits. So understand old warfare and modern warfare. Modern warfare is now sitting in some Silicon Valley in America and using a drone and killing somebody in Afghanistan. He's a fellow who comes in a coat and tie and goes home after having killed 50 people. So he's not like old day warriors. His feet will have lotion and all on it. Hands. He's different. These guys are ruthless guys. Understand, when you read this, see in your mind, these are ruthless. They beat him up. They beat him up. And you know what? Verse 71 and 72, Peter was there, denying him. He began to curse and swear. Third, I do not know of this man whom you speak. A second time, the rooster crowed. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He went. And when he thought about it, he wept. But there's a snippet which Luke will give us. Small snippet which Luke will give us. Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while you were still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Beaten black and blue. The king looked at him. That's it. And he wept. He saw truth and he saw mercy. And he cried. You could disfigure his face. But you couldn't make him less than a king. He was always a king. So the question says, how do you see yourself? Psalm 25 verse 10. The paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. To such as keep his covenant and his testament. That is the path of the Lord. Balance it in your life. These things 
have to sink into our forehead like the stone that sunk into Goliath's head. Sink in, sink in and ask God, meditate upon these things. Lord, make me like this. Make me like this. Make me like this. Because you need to understand, we have a spiritual enemy. He's not attacking your life. We think he's attacking our life. No, he's not. He's attacking your mind. Because if your mind is demolished, your life is destroyed. If your mind is not demolished, whatever he does to his outward circumstances or your physical body, he cannot take your crown. He can take all your children, he can take all your property, he can hit you from head to forehead with swords, yet your mind is stable. You are still a king. And Job reigned. Understand, he's not after your life, he's after your mind. Because if he destroys your mind, then he has destroyed your life. And there is a progression. I want young children to write it down. It all begins with thoughts. And the thoughts are translated into feelings. Those feelings now become words. Those words ultimately become your and my behavior. Behavior when it is repeated becomes habits. And habits becomes life or character. And that's the legacy you leave behind. Did you get the order? Thoughts, feelings, words, behavior, habits, life. That's your legacy. So if you want to change your legacy, that's your destiny, change your thoughts. Change your thoughts. Don't wait for feelings, change your thoughts. Because your feelings will change according to your thoughts. Change your thoughts. We're coming to the end. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. If, God asked this question, because it's a hypothetical question. If, in Ephesians 2, 6, talks about a spiritual reality, you are raised up. Colossians 3, 1, he says, if you're walking in that reality, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. Set your mind. In English, we have two words. One is mind, the other is mindset. What is your mindset? When you have set your mind in a particular direction over a period of time, that becomes your mindset. And the problem within the church is people have mindsets which doesn't relate to the word of God. So they hear, they are excited and it goes because the mindset pushes it away. What is your mind? Set. God said, set your mind on the things that are above. Set your minds. Because what you feed your mind constantly becomes your mindset. So don't blame the people around you. They are not responsible for your mindset. Joseph's mindset was not because of his brothers, was in spite of his brothers. Joseph's mindset was not because of Potiphar or Potiphar's wife, it was in spite of them. Joseph's mindset was not framed by the horror of the prison. You know what the Bible calls where he was? It calls it a dungeon. 
It was not defined by the dungeon. It was not. Your mindset should not be framed by your circumstances. Otherwise, that's what the devil wants you to do. He wants to use circumstances to change your mindset according to your mindset. Your mindset should be framed by God's word. And not by your circumstances. The last scripture for today. Ruth 1, 19 and 21. The two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. It happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me? Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. Don't call me Naomi. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly. You see, look at my circumstances. He could have changed my circumstances. You know why I am like this? Because of the house I was born in. Because of the school I studied. The man I married. The children God gave me. You! It started with Adam. The woman, you gave. That's why I am like this. Left alone, I would have been such a kind man. You! That's what she's saying. I went out full. Oh, but there was famine in Bethlehem. She went out empty. And now she's saying, that's how mind plays our tricks. When our mindset is not framed by the word of God, a few months later into the wilderness, you will have these fantasies. Oh, do you remember how it was in Egypt? How we ate all these things at no? Oh, we were on a tourist trip. We saw Gaza, we saw Sphinx, we saw the pyramids and the Egyptians were serving us. Really, your back was being broken and you were given morsels so you would build the cities for them. Now how wonderfully your mind is playing tricks. You see, your mindset is why you are not able to receive the manna into your soul. Manna is strengthening your body, but your inner man is wasting away because your mindset refuses to accept the word of God. Mindset, change the mindset. Do not allow, like Bethlehem is full, bread has come, Naomi is coming back, God has this whole plan to redeem this woman and her daughter-in-law. She's saying, don't call me Naomi. Because her mindset had been framed by her misfortunes and she blamed by God. Yet Joseph never blames God. He says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. says, you are throwing all these roti balls at me. God made it into chapatis and fed me. Indian version. <laughs> is, is, is that how your mindset is? That Ruth, another widow, same set of misfortunes. Is gentle, meek, and a hard-working girl. And calamities did not frame her mindset. The God of Naomi did. Do you get it? What the devil is after? That's why God says, renew your mind. You have to fight this devil. Don't forget to put on the... Put on the... Put on the... Helmet, not hat or cap. New York Yankee cap won't work. It won't work. Helmet... Helmet of salvation. 
mind is absolutely firm in the truth of God's word. Everything. And then he throws all these fiery darts. Your faith is so strong. He says, that is not. He throws one. It is not true. It is written. It is not true. It is written. It is not true. It is written because this is firmly in place. And you have to vend up all his lies. That's not what I am. This is who I am. Destined to rule. I shall walk in mercy. I shall walk in truth. Not in your lies and not in your unforgiveness. So in this battle, don't be like Eve. Be like Jesus. Eve assisted the devil. Jesus resisted the devil. Don't assist the devil. Resist the devil. Get this in. And read, not just memorizing scripture. Knowing scripture. How scripture is played out through the lives of people so that the, what you call, we have the culture of the kingdom and the mind of the king. Bind mercy and truth around your neck. Amen? Shall we stand? Remember next Sunday I will take leave of absence. Third Sunday. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. Father, we look, we have heard your word and we see our destiny. You have spoken over us more than conquerors. You have spoken over us kings and priests. We shall reign over earth. Help us to see in the light of your word everything that is happening in our life is to make us true and merciful. Because only kings can extend mercy. The weak fight. The weak tear each other apart. Kings show mercy. Saul was weak. So he chased David. David was a king. So he showed mercy. Help us to know the heart of a king. Frame our inside, our thinking, our mindset, our heart, Lord, in your image. To be true and yet be merciful. Help us to grow. Help us to see all that is happening in our lives in the light of your word. Where we have sinned, repentance. Rest, knowing you are working in our lives. Turning all the evil for our good. For we are destined to rule with Christ. As your children go into another week and we are in the last month of this year, I pray, Father, there will be many, many Josephs among us. There will be, among the young ones, there will be many Benjamins too, Lord, who will not knowingly, willingly sin against you. But choose to be quiet until Jesus reveals himself to them and draws them close. But those who are more like the other brothers, I pray they will repent. And Jesus would reveal himself to them. And he will draw them close. So that they will not look at the outward things of life. But they will see inside. There is a king being made. A king being framed. Forever and ever. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on the unseen. And not the seen. Not to see the events of life as calamities. But every event ordained by God to make a king out of us. So that one day we too could say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. 
That we are not sentimental about these things. But we see them as truth. And allow it to sink into our beings, Lord, until it is a part of us and we are a part of it. For you said, as a man thinketh, so he is. Help us to think like you. Thank you, Father. By faith we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we proclaim, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.